A 97-pound Labrador Retriever is considered to be the world's worst dog ever. His name's Marley. Do you guys remember there was a movie that came out about Marley about eight years ago? This is the real Marley, not the movie Marley. And so this is the real dog, real story. Uh, What made Marley so bad? Well, he crashed through screen doors regularly. Uh, Whenever a thunderstorm would come, he would completely destroy anything in his path in the house. Um, He would uh, steal dinner regularly off the dinner table. He slobbered incessantly. He drank out of the toilet bowl all the time. He ate whole bath towels, sponges, socks, shoes, used tissues, plastic toys, furniture, speaker covers, paychecks, and even an expensive gold necklace. That's Marley, the world's worst dog. He was incorrigible and yet lovable at the same time. How could a master love a dog that had so many bad qualities? Well, the the reason would be that because even though the dog had lots of bad qualities, he also had lots of good qualities too. And the church can be the same way. Uh, We can point out all the problems and faults with any church. We can talk about how there are decisions that we haven't agreed with, people that frustrate us, uh, things that are going on that we have a problem with. But despite all of its warts and its faults, the church is something we're called to love. What does organic, doing organic outreach have to do with loving the church? We're in a message series called Organic Outreach. And, uh, you know, it seems like it's a dichotomy to think about doing effective outreach and, and also being asked to focus on loving the church. Loving the church seems to be more focused on loving each other, ourselves, in the church, and, and not on those who are part uh, away from the church. So how do the two go together? Well, last week we recalled that the effective outreach begins with living into a deep love for God. A love that's so deep that that, that that love from God overflows in our lives, and that overflow of love leads us to loving others the way that we longed to be loved. And that's how organic outreach really works best. So what we often fail to recognize is that a joy-filled love for the church is also a key to outreach. If we don't love the church, why would our unbelieving friends love the Lord of the church? For all its faults, the church can be a powerful force of love and redemption. Uh, We can see it in this passage that was read from Acts just a little bit earlier. They were learning from God's word on a regular basis together. They were fellowshipping. They were praying, sharing meals together, meeting each other's needs. They were able to see God do miracles in their midst. They were worshiping and praising God together. And we learn also that the Lord was saving people every day and bringing people into the church community from the outside and bringing them into the kingdom of God. We can see that loving the church can have a huge influence on those who do not yet believe. Kevin Harney, in a book called Organic Outreach that I referred to last week, says this about the impact of a loving church community. He writes, What the human heart longs for most can be found in Jesus and among his people. It's in the church that we are loved, extended forgiveness, Embraced, discipled, prayed for, and mentored in the faith. The best place for those whose hearts are still far away from God is among God's people who have drunk deeply of the grace, of God's grace and are ready to share it with others. That's what a loving church is all about. Now I want to refer to another passage this morning. I invite you to go there. It's Ephesians uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Personal device will be on the U version. It's on the screen behind me. So lots of places 
to look at that passage. But this passage, oftentimes people look at it and they refer to it because of they think it's really about marriage relationships and about how a husband and a wife can relate to one another. And certainly it speaks to that. But I would say the very foundation of this passage is all about Christ and his love for the church. And so as I read this passage, I want you with, to listen with ears listening to the ways that we can see Christ loving his church, his bride. Starting in verse 25, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. This mystery that he really is talking about is the relationship between Christ and the church, his bride. So what are we called to when we're called to love the church? Well, we're called to love the church because Christ loves the church. One of the reasons I love the church is because Christ demonstrated that he loved the church. Now, when we speak of the church, we're not talking about a physical building where we do worship together or we meet together or we do ministry together. We're not talking about an address. We're talking about the people of God who are saved by the grace of Christ. And I can give you lots of reasons why we should love the church, but I believe the greatest reason we should love the church is because Christ commanded us to love the church. Jesus in John chapter 13, starting in verse 34, he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's really speaking here to his disciples, his followers. That would be people who make up the church. He's saying that commandment is for you, to love one another, to love the church, the gathered people of God. Now, this commandment was not necessarily a new commandment or a new concept. The, the idea of loving your neighbor was a principle that God had really been teaching from the very beginning. But it was now new in terms of the depth of their love. It was new because they had been commanded, we have been commanded to love others as Christ has demonstrated his love to and for us. And his love, if we look at it, it's far-reaching. It reaches to people that we may not be really very comfortable loving, and his love is deep. I mean, it's unconditional, and it's sacrificial, and Jesus demonstrates this love for the church, his church. So in what ways did he show that love? Well, first of all, he gave himself up for the church. In this passage, it talks about that. And I can't help but see throughout Scripture that that God loves the church because Christ gave himself up for the church. In verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Paul is using an analogy of Christ's sacrificial love for the church to talk about how husbands should love their wives. And the point is, is that Jesus loved us so much that his own life was nothing compared to our souls, our lives, our value. He goes on, and he take, we see in this passage, he takes care of the church. Not only has God promised to provide for our physical needs, but he also promises to nourish and care for those that make up the church spiritually. 
In verse 29 out of this passage, it says, After all, no one hated ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. You know, it seems too often that I hear news of a parent who uh, doesn't take proper care of their child or their children. You hear, you hear of parents who neglect their children. They don't provide the right the amount, the right amount of food or nourishment. Maybe they don't provide the guidance and discipline those kids need. And those parents are often cast in a bad light. And the first thing that I think of when I hear those kinds of stories is, what's going on in that parent's mind? Oh, and another thought comes in my mind is, what's happened to that person that's caused them to fail in terms of loving their own children in a way that would be appropriate? I mean, they may verbally say that they love their child, but if you love someone that you've been entrusted to care for, uh, then you take care of them. Many of us have pets that um, are dependent on us for their nourishment. The church is dependent on Christ for its spiritual nourishment. And he takes care of the church. This is what Paul says in this passage. So we're called to love the church because Christ loved the church. We're also called to love the church because of strong relationships, the bonds that can be established in and through loving the church, the fellowship of the church. You know, the church is unlike anything else in the world, the whole world. Think about it in terms of special relationships that can be formed uh, between those who have a common bond in the church. You have dozens of friends maybe in the world, but, but no friendships or relationships can compare with those that are developed within the church. You cannot find, I believe, friends in the world that take care of your soul, that are going to pray for you, that desire for you to be a better person. Uh, that are going to encourage you when you are down, who are going to love you unconditionally, who are going to forgive you when you mess up, and will take care of you, and, 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 and they're going to care about where you're going to spend eternity. The fellowship that we can have within a church is a special thing that's unique to the church. And I, you know, I think about this in relationship to, um, I heard one time about the redwood forests that are in California, the you know, the huge redwood trees, and and what they discovered about the redwood trees is that they don't have a very deep root system. It's a very shallow root system. And you think, man, those massive trees, how, how can they stand when there's large winds or a storm comes up if they don't have deep roots? But what they found is that all those redwoods, their roots are intertwined with each other, with each other tree. And so they have this network of a root system that they're co- connected together at the roots and they're able to stand those strong winds and storms when they come because of that connection through those roots. And as Christians, we're rooted together in Christ and we're able to withstand a lot of difficulties because we're connected together in Christ. I love what uh, 1 John 1.7 says. The scripture says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So has there ever been an institution in the world that has relationships like the church? I don't fully understand, but I do know that, that the church is full of really amazing people. Not perfect people, but I would say amazing people. I cannot imagine going through this life uh, without the love and the care and the support of friends within the church. You know, I have no idea how non-Christians deal with things like death and severe illness with no one that's going to support them. I've seen the church do amazing things for people. And I know many of you have seen that and experienced it 
yourselves. I've seen when a loved one dies, the person takes up that grieving person and in their arms and they come together for that person and they make food and they shower them with cards and love and visit them and they check in on them. And, and I've seen people that have been diagnosed with disease, prayed over and cared for and loved and physical needs being met in the midst of their challenge. Now, not everyone in the church feels confident teaching or preaching, but everyone, everyone can love the other person in the church. That's what's unique about the church, the relationships that are formed because of a common bond and a common hope that we have in Christ in the church. So we're called to love the church because Christ loved the church. We're called to love the church because of the the deep strength and the bonds that can be formed in relationship. I believe we're also called to love the church because of her impact, her impact in the community. And that's really where we get to this. How do the two come together? You know, organic outreach and loving the church. You know, there are a lot of clubs. There's a lot of social groups that are out in the world that do amazing things. And I'm thankful for those groups. And they raise money to fight a disease or they build hospitals or they try to feed the hungry or they provide gifts for children who can't afford them or they lobby for moral issues that are important to us. But these groups never are going to have the impact that the church has had globally. The church has greatly impacted the world in which we live in. The church shows love and compassion to the unlovable. There's very few organizations that really work on that or focus on that. You know, I think about in terms of today, what does that look like? Well, I don't know if you're aware, but in India, uh, the church is just growing exponentially. I mean, there are millions of people coming to faith in Christ through the church in India. And in India, they have a whole group of people that numbers well over 60 million people that they call the untouchables. I'm not sure if you've heard of them before or not. They, they, they're called the untouchables, and it's all because of what they do for a living. And, and in the India, they're born into a specific caste, and that caste dictates literally what they and their children will do for the rest of their lives. If you do certain kinds of jobs in India, you're considered untouchable, and you're literally cast out from the rest of society, and nobody will talk to them. Nobody loves them. Nobody befriends them. You're untouchable. Now, many of those people are coming to Christ because they're finding a unique love and acceptance from Christian people and from the church. The church has shown love and compassion to people that many people in India would discard. And really, in many ways, the church is reflecting what Jesus did when Jesus was on earth. I mean, think about all the untouchables that Jesus uh, value the ways that he cared for them and loved them and the impact that it had on them in terms of their view of God and their view of the kingdom and their view of the church. Jesus showed that every person had value. Every person matters. And that those who sometimes call themselves religious in Jesus's day, they wouldn't necessarily show grace to the unlovable, but, but many of them Christ would love. And many of the people in India today, they're the untouchables that make up the church. They may have been rejected by the world, and they could never find love and acceptance there, but the church has shown love to those people. And I love, I love the idea. I love the fact that the church, uh, I love the church because sinners should be able to find acceptance in the church. I'm thankful for people in the church that don't hold things against me and things that I've done, ways that I've fallen short or failed, or my, you know, my history, things that maybe I'm not uh, so excited about that I did in my past, that the church doesn't hold that against me. I'm thankful for people who have done things that they maybe deeper regret, and they can find love and acceptance in the church, and they can realize that they're not necessarily attached 
to their sin and their, their sin is in their past. And when they're in Christ and in the church, they can move forward in a way that their past is not chained to them. I love that, the way the church uh, deals with that and works with that. After all, we're all sinners. We're all sinners in need of God's grace. And we're not only in need of God's grace, but we're in need of grace from each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And aren't you thankful that in the church that we can be accepted for who we are and where we're at and where we've come from and that our acceptance is not dependent on what our performance is, but literally just that Christ loves us and values us and His grace is good enough for us. I believe also the church has influenced lives. I mean, how many lives have been influenced because of the church and what she stands for? Uh, there's no telling. I mean, it's just really hard to really have put a place of value on in terms of how many lives have been impacted. But I think back even into the New Testament, and we see the story of Paul, this great apostle. But before he became a great apostle, he was really a, a, a confused religious leader. I mean, his whole goal was to kill Christians, persecute Christians, and stamp out the church. And his passion would be much like we see with some religious fanatics across the world today, doing some really horrible things. And so Paul was doing some really terrible things, and yet he was changed because of Christ. And he he became a great influencer for good in the church. And he may have been someone that most people would have looked at and said, oh, I can't trust that guy. He's, He's an evil guy, and there's no way that he could ever change. But Christ saw beyond who Paul was, and he saw what he could become. And one life changed makes an eternal difference in the kingdom of God. God's redemptive redemptive interaction with Paul demonstrates that there is nobody that is too far from the grace of God. One person at a time, the church has been an influence on society and by individuals changing their lives as they come to know Christ and making Christ their Lord. Those individuals have helped shape our world and become a better place. The church is a place to find mission and meaning and purpose in life. It's a great place to celebrate life and salvation that we have in Christ. I love the church. I love the church. Don't you love the church? So how can we translate loving the church, the bride of Christ, into some tangible acts? I mean, if I tell my wife Diane that I love her over and over again, but then I don't do anything practically to demonstrate my love to her, those words become hollow after a while, don't they? So the question I have is it's easy for us to talk about loving God, and loving others, but then what do we do? How do we do that tangibly? I mean, we could take a lot of time to think about that. What I just would like to do is ask each of us some questions and ask, even in light of maybe on a Sunday morning, what are some things that we can do as a church as we demonstrate that we love the church, we love each other, but then that was going to have an impact on people that we're trying to reach for Christ? So here's some questions. I invite you to reflect about these. Am I greeting new people on Sunday mornings? Am I greeting new people? Am I making an intentional effort to greet somebody who's new, introduce myself to them, have a conversation, make a connection? You see, people are coming to church, and we may not be really thinking about it. A lot of times we come to church and we see our friends that we're connected with, and we want to catch up with them, and we want to hear what happened this last week, or what happened at the ball game last night, and those aren't bad things, but... But if we only do that and we're not connecting with new people, those folks are going to assume after a while that we're not interested. God's not interested. That will be a reflection. Am I helping to create a loving and a welcoming atmosphere? You know, it doesn't take a lot. 
I mean, you can do, do some very small things. Open a door for somebody, give them a handshake, uh, introduce them, ask them about their life, about their connection, whatever. How can you help create a loving and a welcoming atmosphere? Am I giving sacrificially of the resources that God has given me, my life, my time, the gifts and talents, the resources God has given me? Am I giving it to ministries that are going to bless lifelong believers, but also the spiritually curious as well? How am I investing the resources that God has given me? Am I inviting uh, my friends to connect in the church? There's some great things that you can connect new people to. And you don't have to even say it's going to start with Sunday morning, but that can be a place to start. But beyond that, I mean, we're going to have a kickoff event in the end of August, the last Sunday of August. Going to really, uh, worship is going to be designed for folks who are new, so you can count on that. But also the, the lunch and the connection, the fellowship that happens afterwards is awesome. It's a great Sunday to invite somebody who's a friend of yours. Beyond that, like the ministry of Alpha, that's a great place to invite somebody who's new. You can invite them to a, a life group, to your life group, to your Sunday morning class, to whatever's going on in Sundays, to your Bible study, to a ministry that you serve in. A lot of people wanting to know, do I have something that I can help contribute to somebody else? So we can invite them into a ministry serving opportunity. So I want to just ask this last question. What one thing am I doing to show love and support to one person who's facing a struggle? You know, we can pull out our prayer list that we have every Sunday morning. There's a lot of people on that prayer list. And we can become a little overwhelmed thinking, I can't help all those people. And you're probably right, but, but what, who is one person? One person that I can do one thing to demonstrate support and encouragement as they're facing a struggle. You know, we're thinking about Christ's command to love his church. And uh, one of the things that I actually really enjoy about being a pastor is that I get the opportunity to do weddings. It's really a lot of fun to do a wedding. And the best part about doing a wedding is after everybody's come into the sanctuary and the groom is in and the, all the groomsmen are there and the bridesmaids have all come down and you're waiting for this huge moment when the bride's going to come in and then come down the aisle. I mean, everybody's attention is waiting and then the doors open, the mom of the bride stands up, the music starts. Everybody, what happens? They all stand up and where do they look? They look at the bride, don't they? And the amazing thing is where I'm standing, right in the center of the aisle, standing right next to the groom's right here, usually to my left. And I can see everything. It's like the greatest view in the whole world of a wedding. And, and not only do I get to see the bride coming down the aisle, I don't have to turn my head and my body like everybody else, but I have the groom right here on my left side of my vision. And so many people, they turn to the bride and they look at the bride, and it's, I mean, it's right. It's, we should do that. But you all miss what the groom looks like when he sees the bride. It's amazing, the look on his face. And so I get that opportunity to see both the groom and the bride and that connection they make as she's coming in. And, and the, the groom is usually just, I mean, you can just feel the joy coming out of that groom. And they react in so many different ways as they're feeling that joy. I mean, sometimes they're smiling really big and their chest kind of comes up. And, you know, this is what they've been waiting for. And some grooms, I've seen them, they're just crying. And they're not crying because they're scared about marriage. But I think, I don't think so. I really think, I mean, really, I think it's tears of joy. They can't even contain themselves emotionally. And, and they're experiencing that joy as they see their bride coming down the aisle. And some guys will even tremble a little bit. They'll shake a little bit. And it's, it's because of joy and anticipation of what's going to happen. And so when Jesus looks at his church, he sees our weaknesses. But he also sees us as his bride, his beloved. 
His beautiful one. It's, it's not that Jesus ignores our failures. He knows us through, through and through. He sees it all. But He views us through the eyes of His grace and His mercy. And so I just want you to look at this picture. I think it's a great picture. You see the bride and the groom. I just want you to think about Christ and the bride. The music begins. The doors open. In walks the bride. The church. Christ's bride. Jesus stands and he he watches her approaching. And can you see his face? Can you see the love in his eyes? Can you see his passion and his joy as she draws near? Jesus loves his church. And we should love the church, Jesus' bride, as Jesus loves the church, for better or for worse. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're so, we're so grateful for your love for us. God, we're thankful for Christ. He, lo- he demonstrated his love for us, that he was willing to lay down his life for us, for his church, for his bride, for us who are gathered in this room that make up the body of Christ. God, we're overwhelmed by that love for us. A love that is sacrificial and unconditional. That even despite of our failures and our faults, that Jesus sees a bride who is pure and holy by His righteousness, by His life and His sacrifice. God, we're so grateful that we've been invited, we've been included to be a part of Your family to be what makes up the bride. God, help us to love others with a measure of the love that you give to us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would strengthen us, prompt us to love as we've been loved by Christ. And God, we wait in full anticipation for the day that Christ will will return and he will receive his bride, his church. Lord, we long for that day. We look forward to that day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.